0: So for those of you I haven't met, my name is Pedro. I'm the, I'm the I forget my title. community life pastor here. And um, I love being here. For years and years, Ann and I have been waiting for a church body to, to belong to, to work for, to work really hard towards. And uh, I just want all of you guys to know that us as a staff, we love being here and we love serving every single one of you and we do everything that we do because we love the Lord and we want his name to be proclaimed in this whole city, but it's also because we love everyone that comes here. Um, and we want more and more people to hear, about, to hear the gospel and to hear what Jesus has done for us. And so uh, that's what motivates us. It's also my honor today to uh, finish today's sermon series. We've been preaching out of this sermon series called Appearances. That's on the screen. Um, and it's also an honor to be doing the last sermon of the year, to end the year off, to set the tempo for the coming year, to um, usher us in. It's, a, it's special to me, and I like it. Um, so this sermon series has been called Appearances, and what we've been doing is we've been going through the whole Bible, seeing these special times where God uh, interrupts the world. These uh, instances were either Jesus himself or a special agent of the Lord or somehow God interrupts the world that he created, the universe, and he brings his kingdom in a little more clear than it was before. Uh, we see that um, we're really lucky that we have a God who's not only the creator God, but He's what's called a physical, uh, a historical fictional God which means, not fictional, historical, (laughs) physical God. That means that he not only created everything, he not only set everything in motion, but he also so cares about what he created, so cares about the world and his people, that he comes and interrupts and interacts with us. Uh, Jesus is the only God that has ever existed who has come and put on our flesh and went through everything that we go through and went through death and went through pain And he didn't shield himself of that because of his love for us. So we're actually extremely lucky that there's no other God who has ever existed. We know that there are no other gods, but let's just talk the way the world talks. There's no other God that has ever existed who has done what our God has done for us. And who, over the thousands of years, has proven himself to be worthy of being our Messiah. And so... My intros are always really long. I'm sorry about that. I can't help that because I get here and I just get so excited to share stuff with us um, because I've seen what the Lord has done and I just want to share everything. So normally I have three intro points. Today I only have one. So this isn't our verse for the day, but I wanted to read this to us. It's Matthew 16, verse 18. You don't have to flip there because I'll just read it to us. It says, Here Jesus takes his disciples, the 12, to Caesarea Philippi, And this is where Peter says that he is the Lord for the first time. And Jesus says to him, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I just wanted to read this to us going into the new year, closing this year, because I love this. Jesus says that the gates of hell will not prevail against us. And if you think about what a gate does, it keeps people out, right? And so in this coming year, we just declare that The gates of hell won't prevail against god's gospel here in jersey city that it won't keep the gospel from spreading and that we're going to be breaking down these gates of hell and taking more and more ground not just us city life church but all the churches here in the city uh, that we're going to keep on coming after this and keep on spreading god's kingdom because that's what really today's sermon is about is about god's kingdom it's about jesus ushering in this kingdom but it's about god's kingdom And so we see that over the course of God's time, Jesus and angels and God's plan has been intervening, taking more ground. And I think the technical term of this is called Jesus peekaboos. This is what I've been reading in all of my notes, so it must be true. Somebody else must have thought about this before. We see that these Jesus peekaboos come, and every time he comes, he ushers in a little bit more of the kingdom a little bit more of the reign of God. The Bible talks about it as God, Jesus' government, that uh, there's an actual place where God reigns and his presence takes care of everything. And that in this place, there's no pain, there's no sorrow, there are no tears. It's just a perfect place with the Lord. And we had this once, but because of our sin, we turned him down. And um, so the big idea for today, for us today, is that Jesus is God's purest revelation of the kingdom. That's what we want to leave here today, knowing that Jesus is God's purest revelation and that everything that he does, every breath he takes, every act that he commits, every miracle that he performs is him bringing God's kingdom in here a little bit more clear. And so today our passage is going to be in Luke, Luke 24. I'll give you a second to turn there. But before we start there, I want to talk about this one idea uh, called the curse of knowledge. The curse of knowledge basically means that once you know something, it's almost impossible to, not, to unknow that thing. And so if you have the curse of knowledge, it's hard to put yourself in the perspective of someone who doesn't know what you know, right? And so if you grew up in the church, a lot of people say, oh, I don't know how people live without Jesus. It's like If people don't know Jesus, they have to live somehow, right? Everyone's not dying out of not knowing Jesus. Our mission is to bring Jesus everywhere, but... So if you've grown up in the church your whole life, you don't know what it's like to not be in the church, to not have Sunday mornings already set aside for the Lord. I would love to go out and brunch every Sunday morning, but I love being here more. So that's why we come. And so let's, for the sake of our scripture here, let's practice something called, we just strip away everything that we know about the Bible, just for a second. Strip away the fact that you know that Jesus rises from the dead and he comes back and sees reigns forever and that he's the lord and that he's the messiah luke 24 is a part where this is still up in the air his disciples his followers still don't know that he is the messiah that he's come back Um, today's verse as of today we've been going through the old testament right seeing where god intervened just in the last couple weeks have looked in the new testament and has shown us how jesus fulfilled all of those old testament longings and prophecies right and so today we're focusing on his appearances after his death. And Luke 24 may be one of the most important one of those appearances. So let's put ourselves in the shoes of these two men that we'll read about, that uh, they don't know that Christ is back. They're walking on the Emmaus Road and they're sad. So let me read this for us. It's very long, I'm sorry. It's from 13 to t- t- uh, 32. Last time I preached on one verse, this time I preached on 19 verses, so one day I'll get a happy medium. So that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people." Who said that he was alive? Some of those who are with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread, blessed, and broke it, and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened. They recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. He said to each other, they said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while, we talked, while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the Scriptures? So let me pray for us as we enter our Scripture. Dear Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your presence here. Holy Spirit, I just invite you to be with us. I invite you to do your work in us. Lord, I ask for a special portion of clarity uh, that I can communicate what you've been speaking to my heart this week, Lord. Lord, just be with us as we uh, close this series, as we close this year. Lord, we just want to understand you and your kingdom a little clearer today. So please be with us, empowering uh, us as we get to know you a little better. So I pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And so this is a great story. I really like the story. And I didn't realize how important this story was to our faith until I researched it this week. I thought that it was just a pretty cool story with some weird things. Like, why is Jesus ghosting on them? And why were their eyes kept from them? And why did him breaking bread make them see who he was? There are a lot of questions here. And unfortunately, we don't have one clear answer for everything you know, part of what Jesus does. Something that I always remind us of up here is that God is wild, right? He does as he pleases sometimes. Like he's a gentleman and he's not chaotic, but sometimes he just does whatever he wants, like vanishing in front of people. And this isn't the only time he does this after his resurrection, too. It's funny. I don't know why he doesn't. But our fallen condition here, what we see that isn't, uh, what isn't going right is that the king, God's kingdom isn't here in its fullness yet, that Our sin and our world is broken. We're broken. Our very nature isn't bent towards God. And Jesus is here trying to fix that. And so we see that in three ways. This is the main points of my sermon today. We see this in three ways uh, that Jesus is ushering in his kingdom. We see the first point in that this is is my first point, is that in the kingdom of God, there's always enough. I can say that again. In the kingdom of God, there's always enough. Now, I love this one. I love all these points. But I really love this one because it's really for all the Bible nerds out there. If you're someone who loves passages that touch all, so many other parts of Scripture, then this is a perfect one for us because this one really takes like a big bear hug to other parts of the Scripture and brings it close towards them. Uh, we see that the thing that makes them realize who Jesus is is the breaking of the bread, right? It talks about how Jesus broke the bread and their eyes were open and that they could see who he was. And we wonder, why is it this breaking of the bread? And it's natural to assume, I assume that it was because of the Passover meal, right? Because he just led it a couple days ago. But most commentators and most scholarship point to the fact that it, it isn't about the Passover meal but it's about the feeding of the 5,000. And so this is funny. Why is this so crucial? And it's because of this, is that in God's kingdom there's enough. Growing up, I always assumed that God's miracles were all about him creating, right? They were miraculous because he was making things appear out of nowhere, coming out of nowhere. But actually a more central theme to most of God's miracles is that in his kingdom there's enough. Let's think about the Israelites, right, in the desert when they got the manna and they got the water. Uh, having manna in the, in the desert is not miraculous. That happens to this day. And finding water in the desert by hitting a rock, that's actually how everyone survives in the desert still to this day. What the miracle was is that it was enough for thousands of people for all those years that they were traveling. And so that's just a little, like, perspective switch. That the, God's miracles are not always necessarily because He makes new things, even though He does. He's the only creator. But it's about the fact that there's enough in Jesus. And for us, that's amazing. That's the promise that we hold on to for our, ho- for our hope, right? Is that when we meet God, everything will be satisfied. And that's so central because as Americans, we don't want to just be satisfied. We want excess, right? We want more. We want everything that God has for us. But that's not necessarily the picture of the kingdom of God. It's, the picture is that we'll be totally satisfied. Is that we'll want nothing else, right? Amen? And so for us, that means that in God's kingdom, there will always be enough. If we have financial need, there will, there's enough in the body. There's enough in God. If we have emotional needs... There's enough in the body. There's enough in God. If we have any need at all, turn to the kingdom of God because there's always enough. In Jesus, there's always enough for everything. I used to work at the spiritual formation office at Knight College, the CMA's college here. And one of my main jobs was to listen to people's stories. And so I heard a lot of, oh, I've never told this before, but I've heard a lot of this was the worst thing that ever happened to me. And I got a lot of people's baggage, a lot of people's pain. And in my head, I was always like, oh, God, what in the world do I do now? I never knew what to do. So we did the one thing that we could always do, right? We turned it to Jesus, and we gave it in Jesus' hand. And every single time that somebody was willing to give it to Jesus, he met us. And he satisfied a need, and he healed their hearts in some way. Not completely in that time, but... I saw some miraculous, powerful things happen in people's lives. Uh, And that's because in God's kingdom, there's always enough. The second point that we see in this story that I love is that in God's kingdom, Jesus is the fulfillment of everything. And that seems really basic to Christian faith, right? That seems like the Sunday school answer. But if we're finishing this year off, right, we have to get this one, right? This is extremely necessary, that in Jesus, everything is fulfilled. Here we see that in, chap- in verse 17, let me read this portion for us, it says, "'And he said to them, "'What is the conversation that you are holding "'with each other as you walk?' "'And they stood still looking sad. "'Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, "'Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem "'who does not know the things "'that have happened there in these days?' "'And he said to them, "'What things?' And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But, he, but we had hope that he was the one to redeem Israel. So remember this curse of knowledge. Let's try and remember a world where Jesus isn't Lord yet, or at least that everyone doesn't know that he's Lord. Imagine what they had lost, this was a normal, healthy, perfectly good reaction. If we believe that Jesus was perfect and the Messiah, he was probably also the best friend you could ever have. He was the best teacher you could ever have. He was the best listener that you could ever have. He was the best at everything. He was a great. They saw him bring people back from the dead. They saw him cast out demons. They saw him do anything that he wanted, and nothing stood in his way. When the 12 disciples, the people that were closest to him, couldn't cast out a demon, Jesus came and handled it in about two seconds. Like, they were missing someone great. No one has ever lived, has been as good as Jesus. So it is a perfectly good reaction that these men are sad and that they're missing the one that they had hoped would redeem Israel. I think that that's perfectly good. But here we see, what was Jesus' answer? He, they gave him the problem, what did he do? He taught about himself, because what else is he going to do? What else is he going to point to but himself? He said, And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart, to believe in all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should, should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. It's like, uh, yeah, duh, where else is he going to go? Who else is he going to teach about but himself? And that's the answer that we all need, right? Is that Jesus is the fulfillment of the kingdom. He perfectly embodies God's will, he perfectly embodied what God would do in every scenario. Um, So who else would he turn to? Here in this passage, perhaps more clearly than anywhere else, he's saying he's legitimizing his messiahship, his Christhood, that no one else is as good as him, and no one else has earned the title of the Christ, right? The Christ, the Savior, the Redeemer of everything. And I love this quote here from one of the commentaries that I uh, stumbled upon this week, Uh, and it kept on coming into my mind, so I wanted to read it for us. It says that the Old Testament is a book of unsatisfied longings and unfulfilled promises which found their fulfillment when Christ came. Various strains of prophecy and promise blend in the figure of the Messiah, God's anointed, whom he will send into the world. At times he is the shepherd of Israel, gently leading his sheep and caring for them. At other times he is the coming king of glory and king of righteousness. But Who will rule the nations with a rod of iron and scatter the enemies of his people? But there is another character, the suffering servant of Jehovah, the man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, despised and rejected of men, nay, even in the hour of dereliction, forsaken by God himself. And what this quote is saying is that God instilled in Israel all these strains of what he was, all these themes, all these characters, and everyone expected a different one of those to be the Messiah. Jesus encapsulates everyone, but he didn't necessarily use every one of these in his redemptive plan. And the crescendo, like the final act that we see of God's ultimate plan was that he would suffer and die, right? People don't want that to this day. People can't accept the fact that God came, he took our flesh, he bore all of our problems and that he chose to die. That still doesn't make sense to us today. That still shouldn't really 100% make sense to us as Christians because it is crazy. We don't want to do that. Why would God himself do that? And so we see that this is really powerful, that here Jesus is saying that I am the Messiah, and I took up this, this role as the suffering servant, as the suffering servant of Jehovah, the man of sorrows, and that because of this, no one else has the right to claim themselves as Lord. And this is, this is what feeds our hope, right? This is what feeds our undying hope. As Christians, we have, the last resort we have is always hope, and that should never run out because um, it's in Jesus that we hope for, and it's in his suffering that uh, we try and join in and live out a piece of what it meant for him to show to us. And so every time, I love reminding us that God is wild, that sometimes he does whatever he wants, and then sometimes he does things that seem really foolish to us. But it's in this miracle, it's in this beautiful act that uh, we can live. And then lastly, the last point I have for us is that God's kingdom is perfect in hospitality. And this one, if you, I love getting the culture and the context of the day and seeing how that fact, uh, reflects what Jesus does. The last time I preached here, I preached all about how Jesus is, everything that Jesus did was a uh, reflection of the marriage principles of the day, remember? And so Jesus was a part of this culture. He wasn't even a pastor. He was a rabbi. So just to say, he lived in his culture. He lived um, in the day that he was born in. And so we see this, and it doesn't really jump out at us because we don't know the culture. But here in verse 28, it says something really interesting. It's one of these really funny parts of this story. And it says So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he was going further, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us. I think that's really funny. Why? Everything in the Bible made it into scripture for a reason. This wasn't callous. Why in the world does Jesus pretend like he's not coming in? Um, I don't think that that Jesus was ever a tricky God. I don't think that he was ever performing or playing tricks on us. So why did he pretend like he was going further here? And it's in the fact that in first century Judaism, if a guest ever accepted the first offer to stay, they were extremely rude. It would be extremely rude of Jesus to say, Okay, yeah, I'll come in. Can you feed me? Like, that would be extremely rude. So here, it's just a picture of Jesus knowing his time, knowing his culture, and acting as a gentleman. You know, that's one thing that we don't really think about, because sometimes he curses out the Pharisees, sometimes he's turning over the tables, but a lot of the times he was also a gentleman. And um, there's a lot about culture, there's a lot about uh, Jesus' culture of the day that feeds into scripture. Uh, and feeds into the themes that Jesus instilled in the culture of the day. One of my favorite is um, practiced to this day by the Bedouin people, and it's the the process in which you take in a guest into your home. So when a father of the house, when the ruler of a house would invite a guest in, or if somebody came to the door, you always had to take them in. You would be extremely rude and not a God-fearing person if you ever rejected a guest. And so they would come in, the father would welcome everyone into his table, which was a sacred act, and he would call his firstborn son. And this firstborn son, he would give a weapon to, most likely a sword or a spear or something like that, and then he would tell him to go to the door. And then the dad would do this ceremony where he basically tells the guest, I'll let my firstborn son die before I let anything happen to you, my guest." As long as you're in my house, you belong to me, and I'll let my son, his name, his legacy, die before anything happened to his guest. And stuff like that just like really gets my heart going because this is what Jesus did. This is what Jesus was for all of us, right? That he was God's firstborn son. That's not a mistake. That was chosen deliberately by God. Um, God could have God chosen any role for Jesus. He could have been his third cousin twice removed or whatever. But he chose his firstborn son because that was really important at the day. And it's still important to us because all those promises are still valid for us today, that we belong into God's family, that he has adopted us, that we're heirs to everything that Jesus earned for us. Amen? And so I love this idea. We're talking about the kingdoms, right? And they we're talking about these two conflicting kingdoms, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. The kingdom of God where his governance reigns supreme and that there's no darkness. And then the kingdom of darkness where Satan rules and our human fleshly desires reign and uh, everything is outside of God's order. And we see this perfectly in my favorite book outside of the Bible. If anyone has, has some time to kill, you should read The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis. And in that book, um, it's just a story, it's not a book of theology, so bear with me. A man dies and he goes to hell. And in hell, he sees it's really dark, it's really gloomy. He can't see anyone. No one's around. Uh, The only thing that are there are fancy houses because when you get to hell, it's such a lonely place that you can't bear being with anyone else. And so people spread out thousands of years with fancy homes just so that they never have to see anyone. And then he goes to the center of town and he takes a bus to heaven. Remember, this is just a story. He takes the bus to heaven And on the way up there, he realizes that he is not made for heaven, that he can't even exist in heaven. The sun is so strong that it goes through him. He's a ghost in heaven. When he tries to walk on the grass, it's like knives sticking at his feet, and it's too painful for him. One time he sees a flower on the floor, and he tries to pick it up. And the flower is so real, it's so heavy to him, that he can't. He tries so hard, it says in the book, that the skin comes off of his hands. And it's just this idea that God's kingdom is so real. It's so beautiful. It's so beyond what we can imagine that um, it's just too great for us to imagine. And God needed Jesus to come and usher it in. It's not here in its fullness, but it has come. And we can live in God's kingdom all the time now. We get glimpses of his miracles. We get glimpses of his love Uh, Anytime anything good happens in here, there's a piece of the kingdom there. And so uh, to close, you can come up here, Ryan, and worship team. I just want to remind us that uh, we are a church, we are a people that believers in Christ are people who believe in this kingdom and who believe that Jesus was the perfection and the embodiment of that kingdom here to us. And that Jesus is the only one who's worthy enough to carry the title of Messiah, right? Amen? And so going into this new year, going into what we have coming up, uh, we want to be kingdom people. We want to be a kingdom community. We want to continue living in community with one another, pursuing God and pursuing gospel change for all of us. So um, I thank you guys for listening. I thank you guys for being here. Uh, Let's worship the Lord a little bit more and then Justin will come and close us out.